if you're if you're apprehensive about something, attack it. That's I mean that's the best way to get rid of that fear. You know, so if there's if there's an issue, it goes back to that that candid conversation in, in the the buds classroom and in every other setting. If there's an issue lingering, it's only gonna it's only gonna worsen it if it's not addressed. Right, that fissure becomes a crack and then it like completely destroys the team. So um, if there's a lingering issue, address it. Today on the podcast, we had Jeff Boss, a Navy SEAL. He's also an author. I think you actually said he's an American version of a Swiss Army knife. Yeah, he's a rock star. I mean, he's not a rock star like Emily Wolf was a rock star we've had on the past show, but he's just he's just uh, been a, on a mission, literally, to get to missions serving as a Navy SEAL. Yeah, we talk a little bit about purpose. Um, just, I mean, anyone who's gone through that training and he he really understands leadership and and what it means to be on a team so pretty cool conversation with him yeah even the difference between a team and a group if you don't know the difference between a team and a group this might be the podcast for you we are joined today by jeff boss what's up jeff hey ryan how you doing good to see you man just to give like a quick little bio i mean I describe you as like the American version of a Swiss Army knife. I thought it was important to put the American part in there. I mean, you're an author. You've got your book, Navigating Chaos. I know you've got written a couple other books as well. You've been a keynote speaker, leadership consultant. You're a Navy SEAL. You're working for our, our government right now. And how we actually met was I had read your Forbes article way back when. Um, about navigating chaos when I was writing Return on Courage. I was like, hey, this this guy, we're speaking the same language, except, you know, the only difference is you've lived courage. I'm, I've observed courage. <laughs> I mean, that to me, I mean, you're in it. And as a Navy SEAL specifically, you know, one of the things I hope we get to today is, you know, why, how, why, like why, why Navy SEAL for you? But, but before we do that, with like, obviously it's a pretty tricky time here. It's, we're still in the middle of a quarantine. Um, I call COVID this invisible war. I mean, what do you, do you think this is a war? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say so. It's, I mean, it's, it's a, there's obviously an invisible enemy, but um, it's a new type of, uh, it's a new type of war that I don't think anybody's, you know, certainly the world's never seen before. Um, and it's, it's not just a war against the virus. It's a, it's a, it's a battle. I think that everybody probably fights with themselves every day with, I mean, I'm in, I'm in Virginia under stay at home orders. It's been about a, well, about a month now. And, you know, people are, are going nuts, you know, just, just, you know, just having to stay at home and not socialize personally. I love it. I'm not a social butterfly staying at home completely suits me, but, um, you know, there, there are certainly friends and, and family who, um, not just in Virginia, but they're clawing to, to get out. And so I think the battle is, is, is with themselves, you know, is that emotional need to, I don't know, talk to people. <laughs> I don't know why, but there's that. Where, where are you from? Where are you from, Jeff? Where, where'd you grow up? Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. And family, do you have siblings? I do. I got a sister. Um, and, uh, she's two years younger than me. Um, married to one of my best friends. who's also a seal. Long story there that I'm not going to share in the podcast. Um, dad's in Vegas, mom's in, uh, Richmond, Virginia. So. Oh, nice. 
I'm out in Vegas. Um, well, what about why the military was, why the Navy? I mean, uh, seems like, you know, maybe it runs in the family a little bit now, <laughs> another seal, but, um, what were, was there anyone else in the military in your family? No, no, not at all. My, uh, my grandfather on my mom's side was in, uh, uh, the Korean war grandfather on my dad's side was in world war two. Um, and I'm pretty much the only, you know, military, uh, veteran since, but, um, there wasn't, there wasn't any, any one thing drawing me to the military. I, I just, honestly, I, I just wanted to do something cool. I wanted to carry a gun. I want to jump out of planes and, and, and blow stuff up. That's what I wanted to do. It wasn't about serving my country or anything that patriotic. I just wanted to do cool shit. So uh, I figured, I figured if I'm going to do it, I might as well be the best at it. And in my mind, um, I figured the seals, seals were the best. So I figured that's what I'm going to do. So how, um, how old were you when you were like, I want to, I want to blow shit up and do cool shit probably seven years old, but I mean, when I, when I actually decided on a career path, it was, I was probably, uh, I was 17 or 18 in, uh, uh, in, in high school. And I, I tried to enlist after high school actually. And thank God I couldn't because I had this, uh, I had the skin irritation on my wrist and the doctor didn't know if it was contagious or not. And so it prevented me from enlisting. So, so I went to college, went to Ohio state, put my head down, studied, you know, every, we were on quarters, not semesters, but I studied, you know, I never took a quarter off and I graduated in three years and uh, enlisted after that. I mean, was the, were you, was it an intentional, how fast can I get through this? And I want to, I want to get to the Navy or I want to be yeah, a Navy SEAL. Exactly. Exactly. I had a laser focus. I, I ran, I swam, I did calisthenics pretty much five or six days a week for three years. And uh, there's nothing else. There's nothing else that I wanted to do. So even when you went into the Navy, were you laser focused on becoming a Navy SEAL? That's the only reason I went into the Navy. Yeah, yeah. I had a contract to, uh, to go to BUDS. Back then, I think they called it the uh, – it, it might have been Die Fair. Or, I forget what the, what the program was, but it's basically a contract that if you pass the physical screening test uh, in, in boot camp, then you have a shot at going to BUDS, which is basically underwater demolition SEAL training. What – what is that training like? I, I've read a couple of books, including David Goggins' books, and uh, it just, I, I can't even fathom it. I mean, what, what was that like going through, through BUDS? It's, uh, it sucks, and it's also the best time of your life. I, there's no other way to describe it, and, and I, don't think, I don't think it's even um, comprehensible to, to anybody who's, who hasn't been through it to, to try to fathom something that's so just just um you know incredibly difficult physically mentally emotionally but uh, but it's also the best time as well because i mean the the guys that were in my buds class well one of them is my brother-in-law uh a couple other guys you know they're still still my best friends so um you go through something like that and it's it's just amazing and that's just the the bonds that are built from that but just to sh to see what the the minds and the and the body are capable of it's it's unbelievable. Now you made it sound like you're you were chummy chummy with everyone in your buds, but from earlier conversations that you and I had, you were in like three different buds classes. Is that correct? Two, two? yeah, yeah, two. I started off in two thirty four. Um, I had a, uh, a stress fracture in my femur um, that they discovered Wednesday morning of Hell Week, and I was rolled back to uh, to basically sit out of class. 
uh, which was 235 that passed through and then start up again with 236. So I had a two class role. And Jeff, and, uh, you, you, I mean, you said the first day of hell week is when they found this thing. So how long were you in class? Like you were in buds until how long? No, the, it was, it was Wednesday morning of hell week. So we started hell week last uh, Sunday to Friday. I was, I was pretty much, I was damn near midway through it. If I had made it to Wednesday, Wednesday evening, then I would have been rolled forward. But I was, uh, I was um, diagnosed with it Wednesday morning, so they rolled me back to day one. But how many, how many weeks is buds? Uh, twenty six. So you were week, twenty five weeks, and then they rolled you back. No, no, no. How week is the third week? Okay. Yeah. How week? A lot of people think that how week is like the major cutoff point, and, and like after how week, then you're good, smooth sailing. We actually lost more people after Hell Week in my buds class than during and and leading up to Hell Week. I had no idea that was a third week. This is completely news to me. I thought I was like, oh, it's the last week. What a surprise. The guy that I was in a fraternity just assumes it was like the last thing he did. No, it's it's the beginning. Hell Week just demonstrates that you want to be there. And after Hell Week is when it really gets tough. What did that do to your mental state? I mean, I assume like you knew something was wrong, but then to get rolled back, I mean, that has to be a little bit of a hurdle to go back and have to go back through it again. I mean, what does that do to you mentally? Oh my God. It was soul crushing. It, it was completely soul crushing. I was, I was devastated. I, I didn't know what I was going to do because I, I didn't know, you know, they can drop you for, um, uh, uh, for medical reasons. They can, they can do whatever they want with you. You basically, you're, you, you know, you're basically property of the Navy. So whether or not they keep you, it's kind of based on your past performance. Luckily they, they kept me for, for a two class role and they classed up again. But I mean, God, I was, I was, I was completely, I was depressed. Isn't even the word, but um, when I look back, you know, it, when it happened, I, I always wondered why it happened. Cause, cause there's no doubt in my mind I was going to be a seal. So I'm asking myself, why is this happening? I'm going to make, I'm going to be a seal. So why is this, why does this have to happen to me right now ever? And then, uh, it dawned on me later why it happened because a lot of things, a lot of things transpired as a, as a result of that. Um, but the, the biggest one for me was just how much I learned about myself in that, in that sort of, uh, you know, state of anguish, state of despair, of misery. And, uh, I mean, when I came back two classes later, my pain threshold was like through the roof. Like I, I came back more confident and uh, just more excited to go than, than I was even before. So it was, it was honestly, it, it was awful, but it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. Why, why does that happen to us? Like we, we, we find a wall and all of a sudden you're like, all right, I am going to do whatever I need to do to get through this. Like, was it just like a light switch that went off for you or what? Um, it was no, I, I would say not at the time. Um, you mean, you mean just adversity, what I learned from it? I mean, adversity in general. I think anytime there's adversity and you power through it, good things come of it. Yeah. But that, that's just my, yeah. my take. I mean, do you feel the same way or? Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, I, I think adversity is, is a school of choice for, <laughs> should be the school of choice, I should say. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think, I think a lot of people, I mean, you can't not learn from adversity really. So, um, but at the time, nobody wants to go through that shit again. 
you know, nobody wants to carry carry a boat on their head for another week, <laughs> you know, do any of that stuff. So it's like, I, I already did it. Why do I got to do it again? Well, there's there's a reason, and and for me, it was um, it was just it was self discovery almost. Well, I find that a bit ironic, right? Because when I think about the greatest formulations of like formations of teams, I would think like the Navy SEALs is what team building is all about, where it's, yeah, you guys are one, but do you, I guess you're, as you're going through buds, do you feel that way? Do you feel like you have to get through it yourself and then the team comes together? Yeah, it, at first you do because prior to buds, nobody really has any, any idea of what, it, of what a real team is, you know? When you start off, you can't help but think about yourself because you're thinking about why, why you're there, the goals that you have, and how you're going to make it through that, that evolution. But as the days go on and the weeks go on and the evolutions progress, um, you, don't, you, know, you, you start to think you, – obviously, you, you'll always think about yourself, but the order, the priority changes. You, you begin to think about, about the class, and then you begin to think about your boat crew. And then you begin to think about your, yourself last and the, the class and the boat crew, you know, those are almost interchangeable depending on the evolution. But, but the point being that you think about others first and yourself always comes last. So if I remember you were pretty tight with the group that you eventually had to roll back from, and then you had to sit there and wait for another team to go through. And were you close with, uh, what was the actual, your graduating class or? 236. Yeah, Are you close to two thirty six. Eventually, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't terribly close with the class I originated with because I was only with them, a couple, you know, about two and a half weeks. Uh, I still got some good friends from there, but um, uh, I wasn't, you know, terribly close with them because just because I didn't spend the time with them. But two thirty six was the same way. You know, we started off as as a bunch of individuals, and we graduated as you know one cohesive unit, and. Uh, just like anything, you know, you tend to fall out of, of uh, contact with a lot of folks, but um, we were actually going to have our bicentennial uh, class meetup last month, but we didn't because of COVID. Excuse me one second. The bicentennial meeting, or I'm sorry, centennial, not bicentennial. Centennial class means that uh, class 336 was about to graduate. And so it's, it's, it's um, customary for the, you know, the, hundred classes ahead uh, previously to come through and kind of rain, you know, wreak havoc. So, but they got canceled. Where was I going with that? I totally forgot. <laughs> well, no, I just think again, the camaraderie that comes and the, the team building that comes from all of this. And you had shared a story about maybe this team didn't get off on the right foot. I imagine this is the one where you had a team leader kind of laid into you. Was this, was that with this group? So as most people would, would think, you know, you, you go through Hell Week and, and you tend to gel as a class because, you know, Hell Week is a, it's a pretty, pretty crazy experience and uh, you can't help but build bonds after that. Well, um, Hell Week is in first phase. Bud's is divided into three phases. We um, were sitting in class in second phase one time on a Friday afternoon, the late Friday afternoon, and one of the second phase instructors comes in and he sits on a, on, a, on a table facing the class. We're in like a typical classroom, chairs facing forward. And he looks at us and he's like, I freaking hate this class. And we're like, all right, here it comes. Getting beat for sure. Um, we figured it's something he tells everybody. So he, he goes on and he's like, 
You guys don't care about each other. All you care about is not getting beat. You just want to get out of here. And I'm sick of it. Well, one of two things is going to happen come Monday. You will have either gelled as a class over this weekend. I don't care how you do it. Figure it out. But you will have either gelled as a class come Monday or you show up Monday just as you are now, a group of individuals, and I'm going to beat you every day for the rest of second phase, for all third phase, and all of SQT. And SQT is follow-on training. And so uh, with that, he just he, – he walked out. No beating, no push-ups, no get wet and sandy, none, none of that. So we're like, man, I think you met it. <laughs> because it's kind of like your parents using your first, middle, and last name, you know, and, or like not grounding you. Um, it was unexpected, very unexpected. So, so we sat there in, in silence, just kind of wondering, shit, what do we do now? Because here we are, we're, we're almost, we're pretty much halfway through buds, right? Been through buds, or I'm sorry, been through how week. I don't remember if we've been through pool comp. That's another, that's another big test. But, um, you know, every, every one of us was thinking, yeah, you know, he's right. We, we are individuals and, um, we really haven't gelled because there's, there's clicks. There's clicks all throughout this class. And so a uh, suggestion was made to, um, well, let me, let me backtrack. This, you'll see where this, where this comes in, into play. When I was rolled back um, from my stress fracture, um, I, I was rolled back two classes. So I started 234. I had to wait for class 235 to pass through before I could start up again with 236. And when 235 was just, just kind of waiting to class up, there was one particular guy who I'll, I'll just, I don't know, I'll just call John, I'll just call John, um, that uh, he was, nobody liked. He was just an asshole. And so there was, there was probably, I don't know, five or seven of us just hanging out one day and um, by the barracks uh, waiting for the, for the uh, I think, mustard to start. And, and uh, we were going back and forth with John. You know, it's, One of the instructors saw it and he came over and he's like, Hey, what's going on? So we, we talk, we tell him, and he's like, all right, everybody close your eyes, lower your heads. So we're like, so we all do it. And he's like, Every, all right, everybody who has an issue with John, raise your hand. And the five or six of us raise our hand. And he says, okay, now I'm going to tell you to look up. And if you lower your hands before you look, look up, then you are a freaking coward. And so nobody, nobody lowered their hands. We all kept their hands raised. And he said, okay, now John, look, look at all these people who have issues with you. So he went through each one of, each, he went to each one of us and said, all right, we're going to start with, say, say you, Jeff, or you, Don, whoever. We're going to start with one individual, and then we'll go around, around, the, uh, around the group. And you state your beef with John. And at the end, John is going to state, state his retort. And so we did. We each aired our, our own, you know, issues. He aired his issue, why he is kind of the way he is. <clears throat> and um, after that, we're all friends. We're all buddy-buddy. And we were buddy-buddy for, for, for the rest of the time. What happened was we all heard each other. It was candid. We heard each other. And uh, we, we vented some, some frustrations. So we understood what was going on with each other. Now, fast forward back to that day in, in second phase classroom on that Friday in 236. I figured 
when this happened in 235, there was, you know, there's, it was a much smaller scale, right? There's, you know, five or seven of us. I'm thinking that, uh, you know, let's, this is a bigger scale. They're probably at the time, uh, I don't know, 50 or 60 of us, um, in second phase. Um, we graduated 30, 34, I think. So there's still more, more kind of fat to be cut, but we, um, figured let's try it. Let's try this on a bigger scale. So, so the, um, um, we, uh, we started with the officer in charge. The officer in charge went up to the front of the class, faced the class, sat in a chair, and each and every person starting, it didn't matter what rank you were, starting with, uh, I don't know who, let's just say the lowest, lowest ranking up to the most, most senior ranking, each aired their own individual concerns or issues that they might have with the person in that chair. And the only rule was we couldn't attack them Personally, we couldn't attack their values or who they were personally. We could only only address their behavior and how that behavior affected affected the class. And so we spent probably three hours there, and uh, it it was awesome. It, it was it was it was awesome. We went through every single person, myself included, and uh, at the end, our class was our class was it was one unit. We you didn't see when you saw one of us, you saw all of us from then on out. So, um, candor works. I love that. That's more of the story. I, I think we should do that now. Ryan, why don't you tell me what you don't <laughs> like about me first? Uh, you, you use a lot of puns. Oh, I love puns. That sounds personal. He said not, don't make it personal. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got for me? Uh, I don't like that you live in Vegas. Yeah. You should get back to San Diego as fast <laughs> as possible. <laughs> Jeff, is this something you used, um, like you took with you for the rest of your career into like training? I mean, is this a tool that you believe builds a good team? Absolutely. I mean, you take, you take everything with you. Every, I mean, everything that you learn on, on any given day, you always take with you, right? So um, when I got to, when I got to um, subsequent teams, yeah, we did the same thing. We had issues with uh, with a senior leader, a very senior leader in our uh, in our team, and we had to, we did the same thing, and um, it worked. It worked. It's I find that when I was a leadership coach, I found it was it was very easy to do it one on one on one. In a group setting, people are much more reluctant because they feel that their livelihoods are, are online. They feel that they're being attacked. They feel that if if they show any sort of weakness, then they're going to be fired. And that's only because there's no trust in that group yet. You can only have those sorts of conversations when there's trust and a shared purpose for that matter. So what's the best team you've been part of? I mean, talking about trust, I assume it's one that you had a massive amount of trust in that team and built it over time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Uh, Naval Special Warfare Development Group was, was uh, by far the, the best team I was part of. What what made it special? I mean, beyond trust, uh, what made them such a good team? Uh, the selection process of the um, the seals that were a part of it. Um, there's there's just no BS. There's no there's no there's no time for BS. There was no um, um, everybody was just a, a high performer and. Uh, you know, if you didn't measure up the standards, then you're given a, a second chance. And if you didn't measure up again, then you were gone. So what was the key? Give me the name of the, of the team again. Naval Special Warfare Development Group. 
Naval Special Warfare Development Group. And how many how many seals are a part of that group? I wouldn't. I can't tell you if you. Is that like, like some of the stuff? Government yeah. is this? Like, is this why you can't? This is no, I mean, that, like, 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 yeah, like that number, like that would be classified. You know, like I wouldn't even if I knew that off the top of my head, I can give an estimate, but I wouldn't. Even, you know. And how how long were you on this team for? Uh, five and a half years. Was there a worst team you were on? <laughs> no. I was at SEAL Team 4 before that. I wouldn't say it was worse, just different. Different. Uh, you know, one of the things you talk about that I – it always just gets me like my, my mind's blown by this in a good way is, is your definition or difference between what a group is and what a team is. Because they're different, right? Like groups – Versus teams, there are clear differences between the two. Can you explain the differences? They are different, and a lot of people, a lot of people tend to think of a team. Well, they, they tend to think of, of a group of people as a team, and they use it as kind of like a kumbaya. Well, let's be a team. Let's tackle it as a team. Well, bullshit. Not every not every mission or task requires a team effort, you know. And um, so, to answer your question, groups groups um, groups have a clear purpose, right? They have a a, a clear intention that everybody. Uh, wants to achieve three of us you know we have a clear purpose for why we're doing this podcast uh, groups consistently communicate there's clear roles and responsibilities in the group there's accountability you know we hold the professor accountable for showing up with with uh you know you know being able to teach he holds the students accountable for for doing their homework uh, there's a process for work for how work actually gets done but that's not that's not indicative that doesn't mean that they're a team right that just they're, they're a group in a team, as opposed to a group, there's a shared purpose. Remember, in a group, there's a clear purpose. In a team, there's a shared purpose. In a team, communication is, is consistent, but it's also candid, right? Whereas in a group, there's just constant communication because there has to be. Um, still clear roles and responsibilities as in a team, in, in, in a group. Still a process for work. Um, but the biggest difference, I would say, in, in a team versus a group is, is there's trust and there's, there's respect. Respect meaning you don't, have to, you don't have to like everybody on your team, but you have to respect them. You got to listen to them because you share the same purpose to get the job done. And you trust that they're going to be able to, to perform what they're supposed to perform. Yeah, and again, I, the idea that there's a shared purpose to me, that feels like the leader has done a good job in making sure there's been a transfer. So it's almost ingrained in the team and they can feel that it's shared. Do you, do you concur with that? Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, that's actually another characteristic of um, there, there's, no, there's no set leader. The leader, the leader role is rotational. It, it defers to the person closest to the problem. Like the person with the most expertise, person with the greatest context, uh, whereas in a group, there's, you know, think of like a traditional hierarchy, leader at the top type thing. Or, um, teams, teams, the leadership role uh, rotates. But, so is that similar where like in a group, there's accountability and a team, there's shared accountability? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm getting it. I'm starting to get it, Ryan. This is good news. I mean, what, what else did you learn from your SEAL training that you that you brought into – um, the coaching that you do now with teams? I mean, are there other big things that, that came out of being a SEAL? Oh, my God. <laughs> Give me an hour to think about that one. Um, 
Yes, I would say, um, I mean, you learn a lot about just just team dynamics quite a bit. You know, you learn where people sit, the behaviors they show, the, the nonverbal behaviors they show. Um, I wouldn't say this. Actually, you know, I, I, I take that back. It's, it's not unique to the SEALs. Um, well, 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 here's – here, here's one. I mean, going through that training sounds scary to me and would like bring up a bunch of fears of my ability to even make it through a training like that. I mean, you have to have not only be physically in shape, but mentally. Um, and I think, you know, when people are working together in team environments, I mean, you're, you're trying to accomplish something together. So, are, are there tools that you learn to address fears and challenges that you've brought into your training um, it, with other groups and teams? Yeah, tackle them. The first, the first thing that you're scared of, tackle it. If you're, if you're apprehensive about something, attack it. That's, I mean, that's the best way to get rid of that fear. You know, so if there's, if there's an issue, it goes back to that, that candid conversation in, in the, the buds classroom and in every other setting. If there's an issue lingering, it's only going to, it's only going to worsen it if it's not addressed, right? That fissure becomes a crack and then it like completely destroys the team. So um, if there's a lingering issue, address it, address it immediately and free, avoid the, you know, the, the post-meeting conversations, the, the hallway conversations, because those do nothing but undermine trust and, uh, and, and credibility in the team. So um, yeah. What do you think hinders people from just, having candor, being able to tackle those types of issues immediately. I mean, what gets in the way? Trust, the lack thereof. Hmm. So that could be, um, you know, psychological safety is a big one too. Psychological safety meaning how, how safe I feel in my environment to, to express my concerns, to express my issues. Um, if, I don't, if I don't trust, if you and I, say you and I are, you know, say, say we're, we're just, you know, going, going at a head. And you don't trust my reaction, my, my, you know, potential reaction, then you're probably not going to tell me what, what's on your mind, you know, and vice versa. If I don't know how you're going to take this, if I don't know how, how you're going to respond, or if I think that you might hold animosity towards me or, or try to backstab me or just do something, you know, not cool, then I'm going to, I'm going to play the, I'm going to play politics and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, be nice to your face and, you know, do something, you know, kind of backhanded to, to get what I need. That's when there's no trust there. If there's trust and I can just tell you straight up, Brian, Hey, we're having, we're, we're having this issue. This is what I think is going on. And this is what I think we could do to help. Um, so tr trust is the, I think it's the hardest thing to build, but once you have it, you know, it's, it's there. It's also the easiest thing to break too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you build trust? I mean, it's not just trust falls. I mean, <laughs> you're yeah. actually, developing a relationship right 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 exactly so um i think um you know there's um I mean, there's lots of strategies for building trust there's you know leaders walk around and just kind of show their face you know have conversations with them build you know build rapport with people um consistent consistent interaction is uh is i think the the buy-in for for building trust because if you don't see somebody then who knows? You know, you don't know them. Why should they trust you? Why should you trust them? You, you never, you never see them. But 
once you once you start interacting on a, on a consistent basis then you know you you can you can trust that person's going to show up and then you can trust that person to to be accountable for whatever you know they need to be held accountable for but just that uh but that consistent interaction at first is a is a you know small step to, to building the trust yeah i don't think that's a small point right i mean consistency showing up how you show up um i do wonder <clears throat> in buds or in, in the military is part of your training to take the emotion out of decision making absolutely absolutely so so you so there's a there's kind of a, a pecking order of, of decision making um, that that starts in buds and it just it just builds and builds as you you know kind of get to your team and begin to to plan missions and stuff like that. And the pecking order is mission, team, me. So how is this going to benefit the mission? How is this going to benefit the team? How how might this benefit me? Or where do I fit in really to each one of these other two? Um, that has caveats though too. This, there's no 100% solution because if say for example, there's a, we have a hostage rescue mission and that hostage is being held on a mountaintop and there's like a, a five click radius of an early warning network all around, then we're not gonna go in because we can't, we can't we're not gonna go, we're not gonna have a tactical disadvantage being, you know, being at the bottom of the hill trying to work our way up. So that poses an immediate threat to the team. So that's where you had to prioritize the team over the mission. We just gotta find another way for the mission. But um, to answer your question, when you can follow, when you, when you know what's, what's best for the mission or what's best for the team, then you can, you can kind of disregard any emotion attached to it because you know, you know in your head right, what's going to be better. Yeah, and of course in the workplace, I think especially this next generation that's coming up, they're, they're wildly driven by purpose. Right? Yeah. They're, they're, that's, that's emotional. That's, you know, I think many of the problems we're seeing in corporate America right now are, hey, if I'm talented, I'm going to go find the right perfect job for me. I mean, if there's no purpose here, if there's no emotion or soul here, I'm going to go find something else. There's, if there's no conviction. I'm ghost. So how do you see that in your world? Well, I, I would distinguish between purpose and emotion. I, I think you can get, you can get excited when you, when you have a purpose, but when, when I think of emotion to your previous question, I'm thinking of like, like anger, frustration, sadness, you know, joy, you know, separate those from, from the mission or the task at hand. Um, that's, that's what I am thinking about when, when uh, I'm thinking of emotion. But um, to your second question, to, to this current question about purpose, I mean, purpose is, is everything. It's not, it's not just this generation, you know, I, I mean, I want a purpose. I mean, who, who doesn't want purpose in their life? So, um, I don't think it's, it's just, it's, it's generational. I think it's, it's a, it's a basic human need. And I imagine you have to have it, especially when you decide you're going to go do, as you called it, cool shit, but it's more than that. It's, you know, there's a real purpose to it. And, and even the way you've described this, the training to, in the past to me, I think you used the term stress inoculation, which is a very uh, aloof sounding term. What does stress inoculation mean? It's, it's, uh, basically, basically making, uh, I don't know, basically making, making you, uh, anti-stress, <laughs> inoculate against stress. It's like putting up, uh, putting up some armor and, and, um, you know, kind of dealing with the stress later while you're under stress and just focusing on the task at hand. 
to, to me, what I remember most about our interview is you're like, yeah, basically we train. So by the time we see live bullets, we've seen everything and the stress, not that it doesn't, it completely fades away, but is that your take on it? Yeah. Yeah. Deployments, deployments for us were a break. Like deployments for us were, were, were like the best part because it, it was a break from all the kind of BS and the stress uh, back, back at the command, back on, you know, in the States. So um, there's stress on the job. There's, there's, you know, stress and kind of just in the team. Um, stress gets old, but when you're, when you're uh, deploying, all you got to do is focus on one thing and that's the next mission. Um, you want to, you know, obviously this is a show about courage and you know, courageous podcast. And you once said to me, I don't see myself as courageous. I see it as the byproduct of the purpose I'm pursuing. That's, that's pretty heavy. <laughs> Did I say that? That's pretty it's, creative. It's good, man. It, it made the sure. book. No, I, but, but in some ways, my interpretation of that is purpose above all, right? Once you have, once you have a purpose and you train for that purpose, it actually makes it easier to go do those things that maybe someone once saw as courageous. Right, right. I think, you know, once you have that mission, once you have that laser focus, nothing else matters. Your, your apprehension, fear, anxiety, stress, uh, those don't matter because I have this, I have this, I have this laser focus, this, this task, this mission that I'm going to achieve. I'll feel about how I feel about them later. I'm just going to put all those emotions aside because I have to focus on and once I achieve it, then I can come back and, you know, maybe, maybe then I'll revisit the fear. I'll revisit the anxiety, but more, but chances are I probably won't because I will have already achieved the task, you know? So it's kind of like putting your emotions on hold until you get to where you want to be. Do you miss being a Navy SEAL though? Uh, no, I, not necessarily a SEAL. I miss, uh, I miss the purpose. I miss the importance of, of what we're doing and definitely the caliber of, of guys I was working with, but um, that's about it. Have you, uh, have you found another purpose now that you're chasing? I have, I have in my, uh, uh, competitive shooting is one of them. Another one will remain undisclosed, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a constant, you know, you're constantly sharpening the saw, looking for the next, uh, next grind, next purpose. Come on, give it up. What is it? A personal one? Is it a personal purpose? No, no, sorry. <laughs> He's like unsubscribe. Opt out, refuse it. <laughs> no, definitely not. All right, fair enough. Yeah, well, look, uh, Jeff, really appreciate your time, man. As always, it's, I feel like every time we get we get on the phone, even if it's just you know whether it's a podcast or something else, I learned something new from you. And even this mission team, me, I love, I love that. I'm so gonna swipe that and be like, and we always talk about mission of record for the my current business, but I love the way you, you go about that. It's just the importance of prioritizing so it's clear for everybody. So thank you so much for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thank you. And, you know, I wouldn't, uh, you know, SEALs are, are one thing to, you know, talk about courage with, but honestly, being an entrepreneur is freaking hard. <laughs> it is not easy. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't put that to the wayside either. So, uh, you know, <laughs> There's a lot of courage from your side as well as what I'm saying. Yeah, this is a little crazy. But hey, well, you know, purpose. You know, I always say uh, the, by, being an entrepreneur, it's a byproduct of the purpose I'm pursuing. <laughs> That's right. Making That's that right. up as we go along. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it, man. All right. Thank you.
Next week on the Courageous Podcast, we're joined by ex-NFL player Brandon Lloyd. If you enjoyed the episode, please give us five stars, subscribe, and leave us a comment.